Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. You know, I was talking to Q about this earlier today over at the practice facility. Um, you know who I do genuinely feel a little sorry for right now? is Chris Paul. I don't know if there's a player that has had more bad luck injury-wise than Chris Paul when it comes to this time of year, whether it's himself getting hurt, which that's happened often, or teammates. I remember when I when I you know covered uh, him with the Clippers in Los Angeles, he would get hurt, Blake Griffin would get hurt, you know, and they would be up. He was with Houston. Hugh brought this up. They were up on Golden State, what, three to two, I think it was? I know they they had the lead going into the series and going into a game seven, right? And he could, know. but he couldn't play because that was the hamstring injury that year. You know, it's like always. And now we just saw last night Devin Booker going down with an injury. They don't have any chance without Devin Booker, unfortunately. And so now, when you look at the West, how could you not just think that the war? This is a door has opened wide open for the Warriors, right? Oh yeah, the Warriors, and then people were like so applauding that new lineup. What's where, that? I, where um, it was Jordan Poole. Yeah, it was Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins all on the court together. And they hit the plus minus. I think they had a plus twenty nine. So some it's good just, players right there. Yeah, exactly. But I also just think that Jokic. I know that that team's injured and hobbled, but we're not treating him. He's not getting that same um, ridicule that another MVP would get if your team is just can't do anything in the playoffs. Well, I mean, not having Jamal Murray. I don't want to hear it. Uh, LeBron I mean, had to play in the finals without Kevin Love and Jamal. Kyrie. he's not Jamal. I mean, he's not LeBron. Nobody's saying that Jokic. So why is he the MVP then? He's not the MVP to me. That's my bigger point. Who is your MVP? Joel Embiid or, or Giannis. I think Giannis is almost getting the Shaq level. I love level. Giannis. I think he's getting the Shaq level treatment of we can't. Well, obviously the numbers line up, but we just can't give him the MVP every year. Jokic is good, though. Jokic is good. But he can't. He can't. You know, can't he, he definitely. I, I look at that team and I'm kind of marvel. That, I mean, it's like, who are these guys? See the spin of he has nobody. He okay. doesn't, not not right now. I and mean, when he has oh. Jamal Murray, he definitely has somebody. Jokic is good. But he's not like, I'm not saying he's LeBron. He's like a second level. A second, well, he shouldn't be winning MVPs. That's all I'm saying. I think, what were his numbers this year? I don't care about the numbers. Sure, he's putting up He's putting up <laughs> A numbers. typical DeMond argument. Just feelings. No, nothing to, I don't care what his number. You have to look at the numbers, don't you? Yeah, but a few other people have comparable numbers, and if they can do more, it's like Rudy Gobert winning, winning Defensive Player of the Year. I don't, I know it's a regular season award, but if he gets played off the court every playoffs, oh yeah, it's just that's well, another team. I'm just Utah saying, Jazz. but there are like sometimes you can look at all the advanced numbers. Well, clearly, all the shots that he blocks at the rim, he's clearly the defense. Nope, nope, nope. Because once that seven game series starts, teams know how to figure. So Jokic is like. Damian Lillard, right? Sure, and I don't, I don't think Dame's an MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, n- no doubt a- about that. Uh, but there are there are guys that are just great players, but when it gets right down to it, for whatever reason, that are just not championship players. Like Carl Malone, like a regular season warrior. Yeah, Carl Malone, and and and, and I mean, the guy did go to two finals. It was it just so happened to be the you know the the Chicago Bulls, and before that, the Lakers. The Lakers owned the Utah Jazz in the playoffs. Uh, it was a battle. Question about it, and obviously, you could tell Carl Malone 
uh, and John Stockton and and all, Thurl Bailey and all the guys that they had. That was a great team, but the Lakers were just better. There were a lot of great teams in the West that the Lakers were just better than. And then, of course, the Chicago Bulls uh, after that and the Boston Celtics prior to that, the Detroit Pistons uh, prior to that, So, or, or in between the Celtics and, uh, and the Chicago Bulls. There was some great basketball back in those days. Back out to the Realty One Group listener line. Dino is back. How you doing, Dino? Good, Vincent. How are you? Doing really well, thank you. Good. Please keep me on so I can hear your answer. Okay. Uh, I've got two questions. Uh, I heard uh, Ziegler's press conference today. I'm very impressed with the guy. Seems like he's uh, you know well buttoned up. Has a good solid plan. Um, I did read some speculation about Waller possibly being moved. I hope you can tell me that that's not true. I I can't imagine anyone trading a guy with rare traits like that other than, you know, Gruden and his ill-fated move uh, trading Khalil Mack. I hope we don't go down that road again, getting rid of tremendous players like that. And my second question is not to be morbid at all, but what's the succession plan if something happens to Mark Davis? Uh, as far as the second question, I, I honestly do not know. Um, and, uh, you know, here's hoping that that's a long ways off, uh, but I but I don't know. I'm sure there is, um, you know, something that's that's in place. You'd have to when you're talking about, you know, an asset like a professional uh, sports team. Obviously, uh, there has to be something in place because anything can happen. Um, so, but I don't know what the details are uh, of that. As far as Darren Waller, um, I think that that's people are you know connecting some dots. I know that we've heard. You know, uh, even Vic Tafer was on uh, with us yesterday talking about you can't pay everybody, and maybe Darren Waller's the odd man out when it comes to uh, that dynamic. Now, here's the thing, and we were talking about this today uh, over over in Henderson, just kind of the group of us. If you're if you're Darren Waller, um, you know you can look at what's going on with 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 the with with Devo right now. He's kind of pushing the 49ers into a corner a bit. Let's face it, Devonte Adams did exactly that. With the Green Bay Packers, um, we've we, we've seen it now. There are a couple other, obviously, Deshaun Watson did that uh, with the Houston Texans, where, where 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 players are pushing the teams that they're under contract with into a corner and saying, "I'm not going to play here, so you're going to have to trade me." It seems like Debo is doing that with the 49ers. We know that Devontae did that with the Green Bay Packers. It's how he ended up here. Uh, with the Raiders, the Green Bay Packers weren't looking to trade Devontae Adams. Why would you? Um, so bringing it back to Darren Waller, here's the thing. If if Darren Waller, the only way that the Raiders are going to trade Darren Waller right now, I would think, is if he pulled one of those types of um, power plays and just said, look, either sign me to a bigger contract or I'm not playing. I'm done and trade me. And if you look at the fact that he's shown up for OTAs, He's part of the program. He's he's been uh, in attendance. There's been nothing from anybody associated with Darren Waller that's come out and said, you know, the the sometimes we talk about you know pulling levers or pushing levers, pushing buttons to try to get your way. None of that's happening with Clutch with Darren Waller at least publicly, which leads you to believe that there's some level of satisfaction. No doubt, Darren Waller wants to justly get paid and he deserves to get paid. But as of right now. You know he's not playing any cards in order to facilitate either a new contract or a trade. So if you're the if you're the Raiders, you know why would you trade somebody that's that good and means that much to your offense right now and to your team right now? 
you know, at this point, maybe next year, if it becomes abundantly clear that, look, you know, you're paying Derek Carr, you're paying Chandler Jones, you're paying Max Crosby, you're paying Devontae Adams, uh, presumably you're paying Hunter Renfro, um, you're paying Colton Miller. You know, there's just so much to go around in that regard. Maybe at that point you you look at it, and especially depending on what at that point going into the last year of his contract uh, Darren Waller is asking for, and if it's just too rich for what your um, capabilities are financially under the cap at that point, maybe you look to trade him next year. But this year, I, I just, I don't, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out. You can't. But I don't see anything from his perspective that's trying to, force the Raiders into some sort of a uh, position of either give me the money right now or trade me. None of that's going on. And if you're, again, if you put yourself in the Raiders' shoes, yeah, the thought of getting into the first round is cool, that's great, get a first-round pick, but is there somebody, let's say from 15 on, in this draft, let's just assume that Darren Waller is not going to get you into the top 10, that's not going to happen. Darren Waller's probably not going to get you into the top 15. So let's say 15 or 16 to 32 in the first round. Is there somebody in that realm that is so compelling to the Raiders that fits such a big need right now for the Raiders that that player is not only long range going to be a better asset to you than Darren Waller, but immediately because the Raiders want to win right now. They feel like they are a Super Bowl contending team right now. They may not publicly come out and say that, but the moves that they've made to go get Devontae Adams and giving up a first and second round pick to get Devontae Adams, to give the money that they gave to Chandler Jones, to re-up on Max Crosby, to redo Derek Carr's contract, to make the moves that they've made, whether it's the trades or free agency, it reflects a team that feels there's a window open right now. So I just don't see taking a step back presently by giving up Darren Waller for something that may help you down the road. Because there's nobody, I don't, Damon, when you look at, you know, look at any mock draft from 16 to 32, is there somebody that you would say, gosh, the Raiders need, it would be it would be a fair trade if the Raiders gave up Darren Waller for that player. I can't think of that player yeah. because you got to go with the proven commodity now. Even if that player does pan out, you could always say maybe look at a Justin Jefferson or a Jamar Chase, but you don't know if you're going to get that guy who's going to be a flat bowler his rookie season. Right, exactly. Those guys are, in theory, like right now when you look at the draft, no matter who it is, whether it's um, – the quarterbacks, whether it's you know the the Michigan defensive end, whoever we're talking about, it's all just possibilities right now. You know, there it's there's still a level of unknown. And here's what I keep coming back to, Devon. When I look at this offense and I look at the dynamic of Devontae Adams playing alongside Darren Waller and what they can offer to each other, let alone what they can offer to the team. I mean, that's like. We talk about Kyrie Irving and and um, you know uh, I'm, I'm drawing up who who's the uh, the forward with the Brooklyn Nets Kevin Durant Kevin Durant you talk about great pairings like that like when you when you just sit back and think of Darren Waller and Devonte Adams doesn't your mind just kind of race like wow what are the possibilities with that kind of a duo Yeah because we haven't 
combo. We haven't seen the combo yet either. We've seen them individually. Yeah, do but no, we haven't things. seen them together. We right. haven't. We haven't even seen the guys touch a blade of grass together and how right. that may look for the team. And also, we keep talking about the um, the unknown of getting a draft a player in the draft. But also, I think that the proven players we've seen in this offseason, that teams are willing to give up those draft picks yes. for the proven players. The Miami Dolphins, even the Raiders giving up their first round right. draft pick. Hey, because if the Raiders wanted a first round draft pick so bad, that maybe they don't, if there was if there's someone at pick 22 that they were like, this is going to be a franchise changer, maybe they would have stayed there at 22. But right. they didn't because you take Devontae Adams over the first round draft pick even now Debo Samuel I don't know what if he eventually will be dealt because I don't think that the 49ers want to give him up so soon Mm -hmm. just yet but I'm sure there are teams out there hey we'll give you our first sure right what do you when you look at uh, Debo what do you see like long range um the fit for whatever team it sounds like he's tired of being the kind of versatile sort of weapon that the 49ers have made him to be when you look at a Debo Samuel what do you see I'm going to be honest. I think he's just saying that for posture, for his reasoning for wanting to leave. Why do you think he wants to leave? Let's put it that way. Then. I do think that he wants to get paid more. If they yeah. if they came back into the office and he said, hey, Debo, uh, we're not going to make you the highest paid receiver in the league, but $28 million, let's cut the malarkey. $28 million, sign on the dotted line, 28 five years, and you could do the cab gymnastics however you want. Right. But $28 million, five years. I think he's like, okay, man, use me however you want to. Right. I mean, I agree but with I that. But I do think that maybe something has happened in I San Francisco, the, I do not know. You know, like, but if if there was another team, if it'd say, "Hey, we're going to trade you to the Chargers," let's say they've oh, got a God first forbid. round, they've got a first round pick to spare. But Don't even bring that one up, man. <laughs> oh. But I'm thinking of a team that would be in a win now mode, where that receiver would, you know, ex- exactly he would expand their offensive capabilities. Because if he goes to the Jets, maybe he does. Who wants to go to the Jets? You know, because we could always throw out those teams. But you got to use a team that's that is realistically he's making them better for a playoff push, and the Chargers are the first one that pop into my head here. So if he were to go to the Chargers and they say, "Hey, we're going to give you about twenty five million a year. We'll make it work for the cap." Yada yada yada. But we do want to use you. Where you're going to be playing on the outside. Don't you worry. You're going to be lining up at receiver. But hey, we liked some of the things that they did with you. I'm sure he'd be like, "Okay, fine." Maybe not. Maybe not as much as it was in San Francisco. But I don't think he's going to just flat out say he, if he gets traded to a new team, I don't want to be lined up in that backfield not one time. You well, hear me? especially if it affects your pay, because you know um, the the 49ers argument. Not to say that they're making this argument. It sounds like reportedly anyway they've tried to work out a contract deal with him. But if it is a case where he's saying, "Hey, I'm a wide receiver one," and they're going. Nah, not really. You're actually kind of this, that, and the other thing. You're not really a wide receiver one at all, and we don't think that you should get paid like a wide receiver one. Then I could see where he's like, uh, I want to go someplace where not only am I a wide receiver one, I'm looked at that, and I am paid accordingly uh, for being that. So I'd like to have to see how many uh, first-round picks the Jets have. I think they have two, right? They have a couple of first-round picks. Um, When you get a chance, if you can look up exactly where they are, because if I'm the 49ers and I'm – go ahead. Four and ten. Four and ten. I'm not giving up if I'm the Jets. I'm not giving up four for him. But I would consider maybe giving up the tenth pick for him. And if I'm the 49ers, I'm like, okay, uh, where does he if, – if he doesn't want to be here, and we've talked about this this week, uh, Damon, you don't want disgruntled players. We just talked about the low-maintenance guys. If you're the 49ers and – Debo Samuel just does not want to be there anymore, and you force him to stay there. 
it's just it it's it just it you know it alters the dynamic so much in your room, and that's when people start feeling it. And I, nobody's against anybody making more money in the locker room, but when it becomes a disruptive force in the locker room, that's when people start getting a little bit. That's when it affects things. And so, if let's just say he puts them into a position where, hey, we got no other choice, we got to trade him. You have to trade him then to the le- the, the the place that he does you least harm. And to me, that would be the Jets. And if you get the 10th pick in the draft for him, um, that's at least mitigating your loss a a little bit and sending him someplace where um, he's not going to do you much harm. Go go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, also what's hurting his value a little bit now because he isn't, like, because he's basically had one good season, one one elite season, to where, hey, buddy, we don't know if team, you're not going to get, like, the Tyreek Hill package or the Devontae Adams package because you haven't proven it as long as those two players have. And also, this is a very good receiver draft class because you said the Jets. What's stopping the Jets from taking the guy from USC, Olave, out of Ohio State, where there are so many guys that, hey, maybe we could just replicate if you're the Jets. The, the Jets, yeah, exactly. Yes. Why well, bring you in and pay you maybe at least north of $20 million per year? When we year can get this guy who might just deal. be as good as you. Or even better. Right. Yeah. So again, some of the you know I understand where he's coming from, but this is just not the right time. <laughs> there you go, and I agree with you. There's times to play the card, and there's times to not. However, what we don't know is if this has nothing to do with pay, nothing to do with role, nothing to do with anything like that, and just something has gone awry in San Francisco, and he just does not want to be there anymore. Period. Exclamation point. And I'd be curious to find out. What exactly that is? What's gotten this to this point? Because the 49ers were an interception made, fulfilled away from going to the Super Bowl last year. I, I just, you know, if you're a player, you want to be a part of that. You want, you, you know, you know that you're on a team that's knocking on the door. Now, the question I have for the 49ers is, and I think the world of Trey Lance. In college, but again, kind of an unknown right now. Not to say that Jimmy Garoppolo is an all pro quarterback, but he has, there's an established level of play for him and um, winning that comes along with it. How much of a chance are the 49ers taking going with Trey Lance right now? It's a big chance, and you don't want to give up your number one option going into that season exactly. with your unproven. Yeah, if you're Trey Lance, you're like, hey, 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 what are we doing here? Who am I going to throw the ball to is what it's going to be asking. Right, right. So, obviously, and then because you say the disgruntled in the locker room, I think that that because we always talk about players and, like, maybe you've seen this before, I think players today are moved past the being the the locker room malcontent that you used to see back in the day. I do think that you can make all the stink in the world on social media, this, that, and the other, but I don't think that if Kyler Murray, let's say, as an example, if he goes in day one starting quarterback as the Arizona Cardinals without a new contract, he's not going to be like throwing ducks into the ground or making it harder on his teammates. I don't think that players are built like that anymore to where I, you probably will still see the social media brouhaha Maybe not, you know, being as active in that way, but I don't think in the field, on the field, it'll be a problem. You hope, you hope, but if it's, if it's, if, you know, if you're, like I said, that guy in the Dodgers, and this wasn't that long ago, would just walk into the clubhouse on the day of a game, two hours, three hours before the game, and just change the whole mood. It was, and that's let alone the flights, the time that the players are in the clubhouse. There was a fight. He ended up getting into a fight. 
um, with a player. And I remember talking to the manager and we were like, uh, cause, and this manager was one of those managers where the clubhouse is the players. I don't go in there. That's their space. I've got my office and uh, there is a clear line that separates my office from their clubhouse. They, they run that show. I'm over here. But he went running into that clubhouse, and we were like, "When did you? When did you finally go in the clubhouse?" He's like, "When I heard couches being overturned and TVs getting thrown around, I figured, okay, I got to go into that uh, club." I know you're googling it right now. I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you who it is. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur, Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Yeah. Well, I would say the first and foremost, there was a bit of a transition of coming here and just on how we're going to look at players here versus the lens and the scouting philosophy that we have now. And so there's an adjustment in that because part of that adjustment is teaching the philosophy, right? So you're not usually getting into this time of year and there's, um, when, you're, when you've been at a place for a long time, there's not that educational teaching component that needs to take place. Now, we still have to do a lot more of that um, throughout post-draft. You only have so much time, you know, you can dedicate to teaching and everything. So there was, a, there was an element of, of our scouts being assimilated into our scouting philosophy. In terms of, um, I would say in terms of like the focus and those types of things, um, we ended up just really taking a, you always do, but we took just a wide, I would say a wide lens view of, of the draft board. Forget, you know, the hierarchy of needs and this might be higher here than there. We just said, let's go through the whole thing because there's going to be a heavy learning component of talking the same language, how we look at different positions and things like that. So to answer your question more specifically, probably a broader focus just because we were learning a lot of things rather than saying, hey, we know that we want to go like these three areas are our top three priorities. Let's dig into there first. And I think, you know, when you've been at a place for a long time and your roster is a little um, and you have like that feel for your roster and you have the feel for your scouts, you may have a focused approach. But this was part of like a bigger picture, I'd say, professional development aspect to this approach this year than it's maybe different than what it would have been in New England. That was Raiders general manager Dave Ziegler today at the practice facility in Henderson talking about the transition that he's making to the Raiders in his new role as the general manager, um, the the carryover staff, or I should say the holdover staff that was in place here with the Raiders, uh, some of the people that he's brought in alongside him, Champ Bailey or um, uh, Champ Kelly, uh, the assistant general manager, being one of them, um, and trying to on the fly literally on the fly reset the way the current and holdover Raider staff looked at things in the way that Dave Ziegler and his staff um, is looking at things. So there's a learning curve there and they're all learning together um, sort of as we speak. And so, and there's a lot, there's a lot at stake here. Um, There's a draft. There was a free agency period. And here's what I'll say. The way the Raiders handled free agency, uh, some of the trades that they made, uh, and how they conducted themselves in terms of the Max Crosby contract extension, the Derek Carr contract extension, it, it felt seamless, and it felt right, and it felt intelligent, and it felt like they were buttoned up and had a command of that phase. And it's hard for me to believe that they're not going to be 
on top of things. Not not to say that they're going to be perfect and there's still some uh, wrinkles to to iron out, um, but I think that they're going to have a good command of this draft in spite of the fact that they're still learning and that will continue even uh, throughout um, you know the draft and going on into training camp in the season and as really the years uh, go on. But uh, have a lot of confidence, I think, in this group and how they're going to oversee and lead this draft. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line uh, and welcome in uh, Ken Fuchs from Caesars Palace. He's the head of sports uh, there. And um, obviously Caesars Sportsbook, Caesars, the name, everything going on with the NFL draft, which is now eight days away. I drive up the strip or down the strip and see all the everything that's being put in place uh, for what it's going to be just a spectacular, spectacular event here in Las Vegas. I personally can't wait. Uh, and, and Ken's going to uh, talk us through what we can expect uh, in draft weekend or at draft weekend. Ken, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing? You got it. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, obviously this was supposed to happen a couple of years ago. Uh, we all know uh, what, what happened um, You know, to, to kind of step in, step in the way of that. But in, in retrospect, Ken, uh, the fact that you had a little bit more time, uh, you and the NFL and everybody that's been part of this, to kind of take a step back and then really dig back deeper into it, was it actually sort of beneficial, I guess, that you had a little bit extra time uh, to really put this thing together in the way that you guys have? Yeah, I mean, look, we've been anticipating this for, for as you said, for a couple of years now, and so... You know, having it pushed back, it is what it is, but I think it does give us a chance. You've got the Raiders now in town for a couple of years. I think the NFL is now part of the Vegas culture uh, directly with a team. You know, and I think no one does a live experience like Caesars. And when you when you bake in the fact that, you know, we're a partner with the NFL, not just as a casino sponsor, but as a, a sportsbook partner, I, I think it really works out well from a timing perspective. And, and we're going to help the NFL bring it to life in a way that only Caesars can. Ken, I'm sure, you know, uh, being part of the planning uh, and, and all of that and seeing things now sort of come to life, when you look at, uh, you know, certain elements um, like the draft stage and the draft theater, and it's gone from idea and uh, drawings and all of those types of things to actually coming to life as we speak, um, is it measuring up to what the imagination um, saw and, and envisioned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what Vegas does, right? It takes what you can only really see in your imagination and brings it to life in a really unique way. And when you think about what the NFL draft is, you have a celebration of all these great players that are, are you know, the pinnacle of, of their early career. And then the teams and the anticipation of fans and, and the rebirth and the new beginnings that the draft represents uh, and has become a part of everything from the fashion to you know, the interviews after, I, I just think it's a, it's a great experience to showcase what, what we can do as a city uh, and what Caesars can do to, to bring it to life. And when you think about the draft theater and the fact that you're going to have this experience that is, I think it's 5,000 square feet of LED screens and 350,000 watts of sound, you know, when, when people walk on, players walk on that stage with the commissioner and then put their hat on and, and then walk off to do their interviews and engage with fans, like, It'll be an amazing experience to come watch, and anybody can actually come come and watch it. And then next door to that, we've got our draft experience with the NFL, where you know it's really kind of a one one of a kind place in Vegas near the link, where it's going to have games and celebrities and signings and food and and a whole bunch of cool activations for fans. So 
I think it'll be very accessible, and I think that's one of the things that's great about having it in Las Vegas is the ability to walk up and experience it right alongside all the other draws at the Strip. You know, I've covered the NFL for um, the better part of a decade now. I was a fan, obviously, growing up and, 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 and all of that, and I'm always not necessarily astonished, but um, just kind of taken aback by um, their imagination, what they're able to pull off, um, how professional they are, uh, in, in, and, and how diligent they are in, in putting projects like this together, events like this together. How has it been working uh, with, with the NFL? Yeah, they're a great partner, because you're right. I mean, they plan incessantly uh, to every detail, and that, I think as a partner, that makes it really easy to work with them, because the the expectation is high on both sides to deliver something of, of true quality. Um, and you can only do that with great planning and really good collaboration and communication. And they've always been open to, to ideas. And we've now been in this partnership with them on the casino side for several years and the sportsbook side for, for over a year. And they're always open to things that we want to try. And we're always open to things that they want to try. And I think when you, when you have that sort of partnership and it really allows you to bring something to life like the draft in a way that, you know, it's very different than what it could it was, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, even. Ken, I'm sure you have uh, are, are, are looking at the numbers. You probably have a pretty good idea of how many people are coming into town based on rooms uh, and, and travel plans and all that. What, what can we expect in terms of how many people are actually going to be coming to Las Vegas for draft weekend? Well, I, I, it's one of the biggest events of the year in sports. And so, you know, we expect full house. Uh, not just, you know, from a room standpoint, but when you think about the ability to watch at the sports books, I think people engaging with, you know, we've got John Legend opening this weekend. Uh, we've got, you know, the new Nobu at, at the Paris, Las Vegas. So, you know, it's, it, the draft is obviously the centerpiece, but around that you have all the other attractions of Las Vegas, you know, on a beautiful spring weekend. And so I, I we expect it's just going to be packed. You know, um, six, seven years ago, five years ago, six years ago, when the Raiders first broached the idea of relocating uh, to Las Vegas, I remember exactly where I was when I got that news, and it just clicked in my head, wow, the Las Vegas Raiders, that makes so much sense. I know there was some skepticism maybe uh, elsewhere about, um, you know, the the ability to pull this off. Why would the NFL want to come uh, to Las Vegas? Isn't that opening up Pandora's box? Um, I never felt that way, but I know there was some of that feeling, um, you know, uh, uh, throughout that process. But from your vantage point, um, from the idea of the NFL coming here to Las Vegas to it coming to fruition uh, as it has, uh, did you ever have any doubts? And how spectacular is it now that it's here going on year three? It's amazing. Every time I drive by that video wall at the stadium, it's a reminder, a reminder of what we can do around, like, a, a pro team and the environment that we can place around it. Now, I... I'm really not. I think when you look at the last couple of years in sports betting, especially, and, and the fact that the NFL and, and all the other major leagues have really embraced it, uh, I, I think it's really helped. It's, it's always been part of the popular culture, and I think having a regulated environment where you know the leagues are partners is, is a big part of having it be successful, and the adoption of it in a way that um, I think is both responsible and, and a lot of fun for fans. Um, and really gives the team a chance to, to perform in, both from a business standpoint and then on the field standpoint. So, you know, I'm not surprised. I think the city's come a long way in the last, the last 20 years, and it really is an environment that I think is very welcoming for professional teams 
uh, and players. And I think you see that. I think Vegas is, is a great place, not just for the Raiders, but when you think, I'm a, I'm a Bears fan, quite honestly, and, you know, I think about my winners sitting in Chicago <laughs> and the opportunity to come to Las Vegas in November for a game, like the visiting team opportunity to have fun and engage with, with, with your team on the road, I think it's something completely unique and different to Las Vegas. And so huge success so far. And, and I think it's got, you know, a long way that we can continue to build on that. Is there anything in, I know you want to, you're looking forward to it all, no doubt about it. We all are. But is there anything in particular that you're particularly excited uh, for, to, for, to unveil uh, and for fans to experience? Yeah, I mean, I think the overall energy would be great. I think, you know, one of the things that we're doing is on the Link Promenade, we're going to have a remote sportsbook location during draft week and with a bunch of self-service betting kiosks and a lot of food and beverage and, and athletes and pop-ups. And so I think seeing the draft not just be this event that happens, you know, first few rounds on TV, but actually in a fans to the whole city and how we can embrace that and bring it to life is in that energy I think is going to be tremendous because I, I don't think it's just about having this one location I think it's about how it will affect the whole strip in the city and our ability to, to create experiences around that I, I don't think that's really ever been done I mean you you obviously see all the live shots at you know Radio City or or in Chicago a couple of years ago um, even the one, the COVID one from home was, was fascinating in its own way. But I, I don't think you've ever seen anything where you can take that and then make it this massive event the, the way that only Vegas can. Yeah, I agree. I, that uniqueness is going to be going to be so fun. I agree. I think the um, you know the TV footage and the drone footage and the overheads are going to be spectacular, and I'm sure it's going to add to uh, the population growth of Las Vegas and uh, being somebody from California and the influx of people from all over after the Rose Bowl was shown on television. We're going to have to brace for that. It's just the reality, uh, but, I, but I feel like people are going to be inspired, whether it's to come visit Las Vegas or maybe even uh, move to Las Vegas based on just the images that they're going to see uh, from what's going to be a spectacular uh, event next week. Ken, you mentioned uh, the mobile sports books and the kiosks and things like that. Uh, I'm curious, what are the you know the fun kind of side bets that might be going on, uh, popular side bets, and betting in particular uh, as it relates to the draft? Yeah, I mean, I, it is an interesting draft, right? For the first time ever, you've got eight teams that have multiple picks in the first round. It's you know, you're not going to have a QB go for the, you know, for the first pick for the first time in what, five years or something like that. Um, so I think, you know, it'll be a fun one to watch. So I think there's, there's probably, there's probably more that can happen in this draft than prior drafts in the first couple of rounds. I think, I think you'll see a lot of moves, um, and a lot of things, a lot of kind of pieces move around. So, you know, one of the, in terms of fun bets, we obviously you can bet on draft positions and over under and will Aiden Hutchinson go number one. Uh, you know, you got Jerome Walker, who's one of the fastest guys. You know, he, he you know, as a, as a defensive end, he was faster, I think, than Alvin Kamara and Devontae Adams, actually, in terms of his 40. So incredible athleticism. But you can bet on things like Mr. Irrelevant, right, which is always kind of a, a fun part of the draft is who's going to get picked last. And San Francisco owns that pick this year. And so, you know, we have, we have some bets on, you know, what position that will be. Uh, when the time comes around, we have bets on uh, which conference will have the most players picked. Usually that's the SEC, but you can also bet on, on others that might come in second or third. Or if you think that the Big Ten is going to eclipse them this year, you can bet on that too. So there's a lot of different ways to, to bet on the draft. And, uh, you know, I think the, the key is, especially if you're in Las, in Las Vegas, get your bets in early. 
uh, and you know, make sure you're you're doing all your research. Who is the hot bet to be the first quarterback taken? Well, there's really there's really two, right? There's uh, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, and there's Malik Willis. Those are the two guys. I think Carolina might be the first team that could pick one of them. Um, you know, and the over under on Malik Willis is for us is nine and a half, and Kenny Pickett is ten and a half. That means they'll either we think they'll get picked, you know, somewhere between nine and ten or ten and eleven. That's your bet. Are they going to be over that or under that? So. Those are the, the two guys, and after that, you know, it's Desmond Ryder uh, from Cincinnati at that, you know, towards the end of the first round. So those two guys can be battling it out really quite close. Ken, not to put you on the spot, but is there a website or anywhere fans that are listening can go if they want to make some last-second uh, travel plans to get out to Las Vegas or even if the, for the local fans uh, where they could go for some information um, on events and, and things to uh, be aware of for the draft next week? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Caesarsportsbook.com has a bunch of information, the ability to reserve seats at our sportsbook as well. Um, so the Caesars website's a, gr- a great cha- a great place for uh, for information about the draft, both in terms of places to stay and things to do while you're there. All right. Well, hey, Ken, we really appreciate the time uh, in the huddle today. Uh, good luck next week. I'm sure you guys are going to put on a spectacular show. Uh, I'll be holed up in Henderson uh, covering the draft from the Raiders' perspective, but I'm going to be watching on television uh, and seeing all those great images, and, and hopefully everybody enjoys it as I suspect they will. Ken, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Yeah, you got it. It's great. Thanks. You got it. That was Ken Fuchs from Caesars Palace. He is the head of sports. I can't express enough how big of an event this is going to be here in Las Vegas next week. I've been to plenty of drafts, and they've all been great and unique uh, to themselves and unto themselves. But a draft on a weekend in Las Vegas, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, is going to be just spectacular. I cannot wait. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You know, every draft is different. There's always different narratives. Like, and some of them are always the same, you know, each year. Like, there's none of, there's, you know, these, there's, these players don't exist or, you know, so on and so forth. But I would answer that question and say I do feel like there's good depth in this draft. Some positions are, are deeper than others. Um, you know, at the, the top of the board and the top of the talent of the board, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's good players in this draft and in, in, that you could draft in the first round, you could draft in the second round, you could draft in the third round, whatever. But say at the end of the day, I, I think the depth of this draft is strong. A deep draft? Is that what Dave Ziegler is suggesting? Um... It sounds like that. Everyone that I've talked to feels like there's going to be good value uh, later on in the draft, which kind of feeds into the possibility, maybe, of you know, with the Raiders not having a first or second round pick, maybe trading back a little bit um, to gather more picks. I'm not saying trade out of the third round, um, but you know, uh, maybe maybe trade down in the third round, pick up an extra fourth. Uh, in the process, something along those lines. Um, but I'm not going to rule out anything um, with with Dave Ziegler and, and Josh McDaniels and this new leadership group that's in place for the Raiders because, I'll be perfectly honest, I did a lot of mock offseason plans for the Raiders, and n- none of them had the Raiders acquiring Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams. And that's in spite of the fact that 
you know, I knew that Devontae Adams kind of wanted to come to the Raiders. I mean, if you believed things that he was saying in the past, which he made strong indications that he would love to come back to play with, with Derek Carr, and Derek Carr uh, was saying the same thing. But sometimes on social media, you sort of take that with a grain of salt. You know, it's one thing to want something. It's one thing to actually happen. Go ahead. Real quick, Vic, I know it's a lot of times it's don't read too much in the social media, yeah. but sometimes you got to believe there's some truth because late last night, Debo Samuel, his brother, right. was on. He was responding to Instagram comments, and he's like, yeah, he's not going to be in San Francisco next year. Next year. It's always and then the he brother out, and then he puts or out the a cousin. He's like, come on, man. I don't know what my brother's going to do. <laughs> right. Like laughing emoji. People take this stuff too seriously. Right. And what comes the out today? Back. Debo Samuel wants to get traded. But <laughs> I just think it's thing. funny where it's like, oh, social media, like, oh, you can't read too much into these things. But it's like, no. And 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 you're right. Um, but where where I guess I was, what where I was leaning was no way the Green Bay Packers are going to trade Devonte Adams. That's more. I I felt like yeah, I think Devonte Adams actually wants to come to the Raiders, and I know Derek Carr wanted him to be on the Raiders. But it takes three to tango. Um, the team that had his rights obviously had to be pushed to a position of of saying, okay, we're going to trade him. I didn't think that part of it was going to happen, but the Raiders were able to pull it off. And nowhere did I, I don't, I'm, correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, but I don't remember anybody predicting or even having Chandler Jones on the Raiders' radar. And part of the reason was they had Unique and Gakwe. In retrospect, it makes a lot of sense because he's just a better fit for what this defense is trying to do, and that's no disrespect to Unique and Gakwe. Uh, he was a fine player last year for the Raiders, a difference maker for the Raiders. I think he had a truly positive effect on the Raiders' defense, on the whole operation, on Max Crosby. I think they fed off of each other and played well together. So for that reason, you felt like, okay, the, the Raiders are set uh, at the end, but obviously – the Raiders themselves saw things differently and went out and got Chandler Jones. So as I sit here eight days before the draft, I can't rule anything out because they've already shown, Damon, that when they want to be aggressive and they want to be creative and, they, and when they want to um, make something happen, they have the ability to do so. Yeah, they've shown that they have the ability to do so, but I do think it's a safe bet to say they're not going to trade up in the draft. What about into the second round? I don't, I don't, I don't believe that they would want to trade into the, unless there's someone, or I'm thinking that there's someone maybe on all these mocks that he falls into the second right. round, which is going to happen. It always does, you know, something along those but lines. But maybe, maybe it's only like three. Like maybe if Jamison Williams is still from Alabama, who had the uh, knee, the ACL tear, if he's there like late second round, and it's still like, oh my gosh, he hasn't been picked by like pick fifty-seven or something. Maybe, you know, try to trade back up and get them. I'm thinking, um, and that could happen, definitely. I'm, I'm still thinking it's either going to be an offensive tackle or a linebacker or, you know, one of the – maybe a cornerback. One of those three positions is going to be the position or maybe – you know, I could go on and on, I guess. But really, let's just streamline it. If there's an offensive tackle that – is falling and the Raiders have fallen in love with that player and feel like, Hey, we need to get in late into the second round. Maybe if that's where that, where that player is. Um, I think that they, that's where they, I could see them going into the second round. Somebody that they feel like based on our evaluation, based on our assessment, based on what we saw on film, having him in uh, the building, we feel like this guy 
can be can solve our issues on the right side of the offensive line. Can you name that offensive lineman? I can't. Yeah, that's that's my point too. Is that I don't think that even if someone does slide, I don't think anyone's sliding that drastically to where that would be an option. Well, go um, call up like a call up a, a, a three round mock draft uh, when you get a chance, and and let's go to the second round and see who's who people are projecting uh, as second round offensive linemen, and if there's somebody there that. Um, you know, tickles your fancy enough to say, hey, uh, that's somebody, if you're the Raiders, that you got to go get. Because I keep going back to this, uh, uh, Devon. I really feel like if they could get that offensive line to the point of just being reliable, just being reliable, it doesn't have to be a top five, top 10 NFL offensive line. But if it can be a reliable, effective game in and game out asset to them, I, I look at this offense and it just feels unstoppable to me. And I say that because I feel like a capable, effective offensive line is also going to open things up for the running game. Go ahead. Oh, no. I'm, I'm looking at some now and I was going to give out a few names, but I just don't think that anyone that I'm seeing, this is the CBS mock draft as well. All right. They're usually so pretty if, good. So if anyone wants to you know come at me, I'm not even seeing that many. Um, let's say Bernard Rainman. Rainman out of Central Michigan. Right. Yeah. He they've got him projected to go fifty two. Okay. So if he was, you know, and he's what tackle, right? Yes, he's an offensive right. tackle. Those, you know, it's I'm so there's a lot of those Central Michigans, North Dakota, North Dakota states uh, offensive linemen. I'm really we got to we talked about it during uh, the scouting combine. We got we got to bring on a coach from that level and what their philosophy has been on not just recruiting these types of players, but what they're looking for, what kind of body types they're looking for, because you got to figure the Michigans and the Ohio States and the Alabama swoop up all the five and four star and three star, you know, um, offensive line recruits, but somehow, some way North Dakota and central Michigan and Western Michigan guys that are starting to churn out great offensive linemen, uh, NFL draft prospects are figuring are seeing something in, in their space, in their world that, we could develop this into an offensive lineman that could be an NFL offensive lineman. I want to get, I'm curious to find out how they do that. I want to say thanks to Ken Fuchs from Caesars Palace. I want to say thanks to Devon Cotton, our great uh, producer. I want to say thanks to all the callers. Thank you for all your help, the listeners, of course. We're back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador.